Uh, will you please open in your Bibles to John chapter 16? We're going to be skipping ahead a little bit in our normal study to John chapter 16. In, we're going to begin in verse 16. Let me read uh, a section here, beginning in verse 16. He says, A little while, and you will see me no longer. And again, a little while, and you will see me. And so some of his disciples said to one another, What is this he said to us? <coughs> Excuse me. A little while, and you will not see me. And again, a little while, and you will see me. And because I'm going to the Father. And so they were saying, What does he mean by a little while? We did not know what he's talking about. Verse 19, Jesus knew that they wanted to ask him. And so he said to them, Is that what you are asking yourselves? What I meant by saying a little while and you will not see me, and again a little while and you will see me? Truly I say to you, you will weep and you will lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. Verse 21, when a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for the joy that a human being has been born into the world. So also, you have sorrow now, but I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take your joy from you. For Jesus and his 11 remaining disciples, Judas had already departed. Uh, here in John chapter 16, it is well early in the morning, the morning before Jesus would be betrayed and crucified and die on a cross. Jesus has been preparing his disciples, John 13, all the way up to this point for his departure. He has been telling, him, telling them that he'd be leaving them and going to the Father. And, and that, is really, uh, that is really what is set before them right now. That they keep hearing Jesus say, that he is leaving, he is leaving, he is leaving, he's going to the Father, and it's beginning to set in. That reality is beginning to set in. And so sorrow has now filled their hearts. They're becoming overcome with sorrow. Now, up until this point, Jesus had been uh, inundating them with the promises of God. He gave him the promise in, in, uh, of his love in John chapter 13. John chapter 14, he promises them the, that when he leaves, he would send the Spirit, and the Spirit would come and indwell them, the Spirit of truth, permanently. And not only that, that, the, that Jesus and the Father would come and indwell them. And so there's the promise that he'd been giving them, that although he's leaving, that they would be indwelt by God. And so for the moment, even in the midst of all these promises, the, the, the circumstance of Jesus' departure, and they really don't know what is coming, is, is just overwhelming them. And there's a sorrow that is pushing out all the promises, pushing out all the joy, pushing out all that Jesus has been telling them, but it will come flooding back to them. And so in their darkest moment, Jesus speaks to them in verse 16, and says, a little while, and you will see me no longer. And again, a little while, and you will see me. Now, as believers this morning, we have the advantage of already reading through Scripture. We, we, we know the story. We know what happens to the disciples. We, we know about the resurrection, but they were in the midst of it. They didn't understand the context of everything, even though Jesus had tried to explain it to them over and over. They heard what they wanted to hear. 
And so Jesus tells them, he begins to explain to them. He says, first of all, a little while and you will see me no longer. And what Jesus was speaking of in this, about this short amount of time in a little while is that in the, in the Garden of Gethsemane, in just a matter of hours, Judas would come with a detachment of troops and Jesus would be arrested and the disciples would then flee. They would leave and Jesus would be tried in a mock trial. He would be then quickly sent to the cross and crucified and put in the tomb. He would be dead and buried. In a little while, they would see him no more. Jesus was about to die. And Jesus said to them, you're not going to see me. You're not going to see me. And the reality of this is intensifying in the hearts of the disciples. But Jesus also said to them in verse 16, in just a little while, you will see me again. And as Jesus is speaking in somewhat cryptic language, you can imagine that the disciples who don't have the benefit of reading the scriptures, uh, they're living them, uh, they were having a hard time understand what Jesus, understanding what Jesus was saying. And we know that to be so because look at the next verses, six, seven, uh, verses 17 and 18. Verse 17 and 18 says, So some of his disciples said to one another, what is, what is this that he has said to us? A little while and you will not see me, and again a little while and you will see me, and because I'm going to the Father. And so they were saying, what does he mean by a little while? We do not know what he is talking about. They are clueless in these final hours, and their hearts are overwhelmed with sorrow. And so what does Jesus mean by a little while? What is he talking about? <clears throat> it's interesting because as I study this, there's, there's different interpretations about what this means. Some think it's referring to the second coming of Christ, that in a little while he would be gone, but then he would come back and that they would see him. We've got a big problem with that because the disciples have, have all died. They've, they're, gone. they're actually with him now. And so that is not what Jesus is, is speaking of, although there's a lot of parallels there, which we'll talk about in a bit. The fact is that this was not about Jesus' second coming. Jesus was speaking of something closer, something that was going to happen very, very soon. Another interpretation is that Jesus is speaking about the fact that he would be ascending to the Father in just a little bit, and that um, while they wouldn't see him, what would happen is that when he went to the Father, he would be sending the Holy Spirit, and, and which is also called the Spirit of Christ, and that would in, in the Holy Spirit would fall upon the church, Acts chapter 2, and, and their joy would be full, their sorrow would be turned to joy. And I, I do believe this is a good and proper interpretation of the context because Jesus is talking about leaving and sending the Holy Spirit. And if that sounds a little confusing to you, come back in two weeks because we're going to rehash that and, 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 and uh, make sure that there's understanding regarding the Holy Spirit. But while the Spirit of Christ uh, seems to fit, uh, being sent to believers seems to fit the context, and I'm obviously not explaining that very deeply right now, but it's, it, it fits the context around the chapters in a bigger sense, in a more immediate sense. Uh, Jesus is referencing that in just a little while he would die, but also that in just a little while from then, he would rise and that their sorrow would 
turn to joy. And so Jesus is, first of all, speaking of his death. He's saying, in a little while you will not see me, but in a little while you will, of the resurrection, which is why we are celebrating this morning. We're gathered together uh, virtually. But the disciples were confused. They were wondering what this meant. Jesus was, was their everything. They had left everything to fall uh, they had left everything to follow him, and they were wondering, when are we going to see you again? And Jesus knew what was going on in their hearts. In verse 18, says that Jesus knew that they wanted to ask him. So he said to them, is this what you're asking yourselves? What I mean by saying a little while and you will not see me, and again, a little while you will see me? A couple of things I wanted to pull out here that kind of struck me. Um, the first is just the absolute selflessness of Jesus Christ. Um, here he, he is about to be crucified. He's hours away from being betrayed and, and being mocked and having his beard pulled out and being hit in the face and, and being whipped within inches of his life and being nailed to a cross. And here Jesus knows it's coming. And yet he is deeply and absolutely concerned for his disciples Remember that about the Lord, that his eye is on the sparrow, so to speak, that he knows what you're going through, even in your sinful state, perhaps my sinful state, when we should be trusting God and trusting in all the promises, yet the circumstances of our lives overflow and, and we're overwhelmed, and yet he is selfless with his disciples and he knows uh, what they're thinking. And that's really the second thing that I wanted to point out, not only is, he, is Jesus selflessly concerned with his disciples, he knows what they're thinking. And they didn't even need to say it. He knew the sorrow in their hearts. He knew the emotions that they were facing. He knew the temptation that was ahead of them. He knew what they wanted to ask him and yet were reserved and held that back and didn't do it. And he approached them. He searched their minds and their hearts and he knew them. Think about that in whatever you're facing. That Jesus knows what's going on in your mind and your heart. He knows your circumstances. He knows these things. And perhaps you're overwhelmed with what's going on around you right now. And you know all the promises that Jesus has given you. He know, you know the scriptures. You know what's going on. And you know you should believe, but you've been overwhelmed. You've been overwhelmed. And you've allowed sorrow instead of faith to fill your heart. Jesus knows. And he still loves and still cares and still goes after his sheep. He still goes after you and me. And so on the one hand, we do need to call our lack of faith like it is. But on the other hand, Jesus absolutely loves his sheep. He loves his disciples. And he was determined that although they were overwhelmed at the moment, that they would know his absolute love and promises for them with what was coming because it wasn't going to be easy for them. Jesus didn't tell them everything's going to be all right, it's going to be easy, things are going to be just fine. No, actually, he would promise that they would have tribulation in this world, but to fear not that he had overcome the world. And so, take refuge in him this morning, church. And so, in their confusion, Jesus begins to describe to them in verse 20 what he meant by saying a little while. 
what's coming? What will, what will it be like for them during that time? What, what they can expect? Verse 20, Jesus said, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You're so, you will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. Jesus describes three things that the disciples are going to experience here. Three things between his death and his resurrection. The first is that they would weep and they would lament. They would experience sorrow. You see, the disciples were not anticipating the resurrection. And we know this because if you fast forward to John chapter 20, uh, verse 9, uh, as Peter and John are running towards the empty tomb, uh, they, they see it and it says, For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. They were totally clueless that Jesus was going to rise from the dead, even though he had repeated it multiple times to them. It was, they were, they did not understand. And so they were full of sorrow. They saw the Lord. Uh, John saw it up close, but uh, the disciples saw it from afar. Peter saw it from afar that Jesus was crucified. They watched him die. And sorrow filled their hearts. The, they wept and lamented. And that word sorrow is often translated full of sorrow, overcome with sorrow, because the idea of that word in the Greek is that it pushes every single other thing out. You're just overcome with total grief. And that is what Jesus is saying that they would experience. He's not justifying it. He's saying that is what they would experience. They could count on it. And on the other hand, while they were while all the joy was pushed out of their hearts, where well, sorrow flood in, uh, flooded in and, and overflowed all the promises and everything, and there was just seemed like a very deep darkness upon them, the opposite was happening in the world. They rejoiced. They were full of joy at the death of Jesus Christ. And that's the second thing they would experience, the world rejoicing at the death of Jesus, so much so that they locked themselves in an upper room in fear. You know, the power of Satan was at work in Judas and in the religious leaders of, of, of the nation, and many who saw Jesus, who witnessed his miracles, who had even been touched by him, and yet they just wanted the signs they did not want to change. And so that nation rose up against the, the Son of God, they rose against their Messiah and they crucified Him. And when their darkness um, apparently extinguished the light of the world, there was rejoicing, a good riddance to Him. So glad He's gone because the light was gone, apparently. And that same kind of rejoicing, um, it made me think of Revelation chapter 11 where God sends two witnesses who really who, who do signs and wonders and, and basically minister to the world during the end times. And what happens is they're finally allowed to die and they, and they are killed, they're martyred, and they're lying dead in the streets of Jerusalem for three and a half days. And it says in Revelation chapter 11, verses 10 and 11, regarding the world's reaction to this, it says, And those who dwell on the earth will rejoice over them and make merry and exchange presents, because these two prophets had been a torment to those who dwell on the earth. They had been a torment, and just as those two prophets were a torment because they were shining light into the darkness, so Jesus was a spiritual torment to those who would not repent and do not repent. 
and they rejoiced at his death. And let me say that although um, this passage back in John 16 is not talking about the second coming, there are parallels that the church experienced when it comes to the sorrow we experience and, and, and the joy of the world in walking in darkness. Uh, we too, although we wait for the Lord in joy because we have hope, there are seasons of sorrow in our lives where we, are, we realize that we are groaning, we are waiting for the Lord to redeem us. We are saying, Lord, come quickly. And there's, some, there's a sorrow in our hearts and a longing for His return. We, we, we groan. All of creation groans. And while we groan, the world, the systems in control by the enemy who are under the influence of the power of darkness, they, they rejoice in their darkness. They rejoice in the fact that Christ is not here and not present. And they reject the light and they rejoice when the light is extinguished around them. And therefore, persecution of Christians happen. And anyone who uh, is, a, is a true disciple of Christ is, is shunned by this world. But it will not last in that sense. He will return. He will return. And for the disciples, their momentary sorrow, their, their lamenting because of the cross would not last because Jesus promised that their sorrow would turn into joy in just a little while. The cross that was the cause of their greatest sorrow, seeing the one they loved and gave their lives up to, to follow him crucified, not understanding the ramifications of everything, seeing that happen, their, their greatest point of sorrow became their greatest point of joy because Sunday was coming. And it's here. He rose. He is risen. Amen. And that Sunday night, John tells us in John chapter 20, in the middle of John chapter 20, that while the disciples are locked in that upper room because of fear, the world is rejoicing and, and they are full of sorrow. It says that Jesus appeared in that room to them. And it was in that moment their sorrow turned into joy as they saw the risen Savior. Amen. And that's the third thing that the disciples would experience. That their sorrow would turn to joy because he would rise from the dead on the third day. And because he lives, they would live. And because he lives, we will live. And that is what Jesus was trying to get through to them. He was trying to tell them it's, it's going to be difficult. You won't see me. The world will rejoice while you are mourning, but your sorrow will turn into joy. It will happen. And when Jesus says it, it happens. And Jesus, to help them further, he paints a picture of this sorrow turning into joy. And he uses it with an image that we're all, we're all familiar with in life. Jesus says in verse 21, he says, When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. And so two extremes of childbirth, severe anguish and suffering to 
um, to severe joy, to overflowing joy. And anyone who's witnessed childbirth can testify to that fact in general. Um, I can relate because I've watched my wife Christine give birth to our two kids. And, and let me say that on the one hand, extreme pain and extreme suffering, so much so that I was shocked at how much pain and suffering there was in childbirth when I watched the first, our firstborn be born. But I also watched the second half of that, that as soon as John was born, my wife was transformed in a joy over flowed her heart in and and, and I, one of my favorite pictures is a picture of, of of when John was put right into Christine's arms and she's looking at him and there's just this joy and for me standing back looking at it she's not realizing it but I am I am watching like what in the world just happened such pain into such joy and it was a brilliant moment and I will always remember it with both of my kids and that's the amazing thing, that the joy is so sweet that the sorrow is, is almost forgotten. The joy overflows. See, just as the sorrow overcame and overflowed and pushed everything out and it was all that they thought about, so the joy will do the same thing to the disciples. The joy will overflow all the suffering and the pain and the loss. And what became the greatest point of of sorrow, the cross became the greatest point of joy, the source of joy. And I've seen it, and, and, and you've seen it in this world. And Jesus uses that beautiful example of childbirth to show us that the resurrection uh, is, is our joy. It's what brings us joy. It brings us from death to life. And from the resurrection, and this is where the whole chapter comes in when I was talking about the Holy Spirit, is from the resurrection that Jesus is alive now and that he ascended to the father that he then sends his holy spirit to the church that his very spirit which was with them but not in them was now sent to them so that it would be in them and not just with them and so jesus said i'm going to make my home in you and this is the context of the chapter that it's not an external joy it's an internal joy the 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 fruit of the spirit is love joy and the joy that the lord has is ours as christians as we walk in obedience to the father the father the joy overflows the here holy spirit was promised to to the disciples and in and that would come shortly but a little bit of a tangent there, but Jesus said to them in verse 22, so also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again. And your heart will rejoice and no one will take your joy from you. If that isn't a verse and a promise that we need to underline and meditate on, I don't know what it is. For them, it would be a day or two. For us, it's a little bit longer in that sense of waiting for him to see him face to face. But he says there again in 22, so also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again. And your hearts will rejoice and no one will take your joy from you. In a sense, we have that now because Jesus lives in our hearts. He's alive and he's with us. And we wait for the day when we see him face to face. But when they saw him that Sunday night, that's what happened. Their sorrow and their fear 
it turned into absolute pure joy as he was in the room with them. And I think it's fitting, as I was pondering this, that we're separated from one another this morning, that we're um, social distancing from one another right now. Um, in many ways, it isn't pleasant, obviously. Uh, there's a sorrow, even in, in my introverted heart, that I can't be with you and be around you and worship with you. And, and I long to be with you and, and to sing with you and to be in the Word together and to pray with you and those things. But this is going to end. And I'm pretty sure that pretty shortly after that, we are going to forget what it was like to social distance. It'll be a memory and it'll become fuzzy after a while. Similarly, uh, just as the disciples longed to be with Jesus and they were separated for a while from him, that, that ended and they saw him again. And so too, we are going to see our Lord again. We are going to see him face to face in just a little while. Now, we know that a little while with God is a little different while than, than us. But we wait for that day. We anticipate the day when we see him face to face. Because he lives, you will live, Jesus said. And I want to close with this thought regarding our resurrection. On the day when we see him face to face, the day that we're waiting for. Paul wrote concerning the resurrection in 1 Corinthians 15. There was a case that people were saying that Jesus wasn't risen from the dead, and Paul was saying, then, then what are we doing? All is lost. Why are we denying ourselves? Why are we picking up a cross and, and doing all these things? If he's dead, then he's dead on the ground, and none of this makes sense. But then he follows up and says, but in fact, Christ is, uh, has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. And in verse 21, he continues, it says, For as by a man came death, and by a man is come also the resurrection from the dead. For as in Adam all die, and so also in Christ uh, shall all be made alive. In other words, everyone related to Adam experiences death, and that is every single person born. But if you are in Christ, if you have faith in Christ, Paul says here, um, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. You'll all be resurrected if you are in Christ. But each in his own order. There's an order to it. First is Christ, Christ the first fruits. And then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. At his coming, those who belong to Christ will be resurrected. That is our promise. Now, when you die, you immediately go to be with the Lord. Your spirit is with the Lord. But one day, you will be given a body. It is on that day that you will be given the body fitting for your spirit at the resurrection, at his coming, for his church. And so we wait for the shout, we who are alive and remain. We wait for the shout from on high where Jesus would call us to him. And should we be alive on that day when he shouts, we're, we're not going to die, the scriptures say in Thessalonians. We, we will not die. We'll be transformed in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye. We will be changed, transformed into our resurrected bodies. 
immediately joining those who have died, those will be resurrected around us, will be transformed in the twinkling of an eye, and those who have died in Christ will immediately be put together and given new bodies. And we together will meet together and join with them, going up and seeing Christ in the air together with Him forever. We will be with Him face to face on that day. Amen. So church, there's a, there's a lot going on. In the world does not have what you have, the hope. Everybody's concerned about the first death when they really need to be concerned about the second death. And we have been given eternal life. We've been spared the second death. And I pray that the world around us receives Christ and is spared the second death. But you have the spirit of Christ in you, if you are His. Jesus' Spirit, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, all one and the same, dwells in every believer, the proof that He is risen. The Spirit of God was in Christ, in the disciples. Jesus left so that the Spirit would descend and come into a, a permanently indwell the church, the true church of Jesus Christ, and to be with us forever. He is risen. Amen? And He's alive in you and in me. And because He lives, we will live. And that starts today. Amen? And so let's close in prayer on this Easter Sunday. Father, we want to thank You that although there seems to be a time of sorrow, that sorrow will be turned to joy ultimately. But Lord, we have your joy now. We've received your spirit. We've been adopted as sons and daughters into your kingdom if we've believed upon Christ as our Savior and believed in his resurrection. We're born again. We have your joy. And so, Lord, let us rejoice in the midst of what's going on, not because of what's going on, but because of you in the midst of what's going on. Lord, may you be alive in us May you shine through us. May your spirit be evident in us as we are overflowing with the love and the joy of God this week. Lord, thank you for this time of quickening and chastening in your church, calling us to deeper love for you and fellowship with one another, rearranging things in our lives, showing us what's important. And Lord, you're at the top of all lists. And so we praise you that you've conquered death. We've, we praise you that you've conquered coronavirus and whatever effects it may have, that we have the promise of eternal life, the sure promise. And so, Lord, I pray that you would remind us of the joy and let the joy overflow any fear and sorrow that may be in our lives for the moment. We love you and we praise you. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.